Good morning. How are you? All right. Hey, let me tell you about a couple of things before we get started. One is if you came in, you may have noticed on this back wall, the table here, uh, there were some people there sitting. Paul and Paula were sitting with Operation Christmas Child stuff. And uh, you may be familiar with that or may, may not be. Samaritan's Purse puts that on and put shoe boxes together. And those go to uh, people in other countries and kids. And you, it, there's uh, instructions about how to pack a gift. There's stuff in there about writing letters. Or it's just a, a good way to be able to send a gift to these kids in countries who otherwise may not have much of anything. And I know, even uh, remember it, being involved in that in the past, you know, in some areas where these shoe boxes go they're the plastic shoe boxes not a cardboard shoe box but um, sometimes in the villages and places where these shoe boxes arrive arrive the people actually can even use the shoe boxes to go and get water so it's a real practical thing and it's a good way to share the gospel with people sponsored through Samaritan's Purse so if you want to know more about that and want to participate they have a brochure they have information it'll tell you what to do what to buy how to pack the box and where to take it uh, to deliver it we have a drop-off point right here in Greer on um on uh, Poinsett in, in Greer. So uh, if you want to participate in that, check out that table, grab a brochure, and uh, you can have a part of not only giving people a gift around Christmas time, but more importantly, uh, have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And it gives Samaritan's Purse another option to be able to get into these areas and have an opportunity to, uh, to minister and to witness to people. So I hope you'll check that out. I do want to share something else with you. Uh, remember we had Halloween hoopla just not too long ago, right? Yeah. Uh, we, we got a card in the mail. And uh, I want to read this to you. It says, thank you for hosting the Halloween hoopla. We had so much fun. John 419. We love because he first loved us. Hayden. So just a nice little note that I don't know who Hayden is, but uh, Halloween Hoopla made a difference in his life, and he recognized that that we love by loving others and because he first loved us. Isn't that pretty cool? So we got a little thank you note to let you know if you participated in that. Now, everybody that was affected in some way didn't write a note, but Hayden chose to write a note, and I wanted to share that with you because I thought that was pretty awesome, right? All right, hey, we are going to uh, continue our series titled God is Good this week, and so we're continuing that. Just a reminder, if you weren't here last week, a reminder, you can go back on the website, you can listen to the podcast and hear the messages uh, that we're doing, but just kind of a quick review. The idea of, of good means excellent or agreeable, and we talked about that last week, and that good not only, good not only talks about who God is, but it's how he acts and what he does. So God, God is good, but the things that he does are good to us. They are, they are excellent and they are agreeable uh, to us. So we talked about that. We talked about the idea uh, specifically of tasting and seeing that God is good with the, with the concept of taste meaning with a view of consumption that, that if we're going to uh, be involved with God, whether you're an unbeliever who's trying to find out whether or not all this stuff is true and you're skeptical and you're not really sure, and, and that's okay, but the challenge was if that's where you are, for, for you to jump in and with the idea of consuming God, so to speak, with not just tasting a little here and there, but if you want to have a, a valid picture 
of whether this whole God thing is real or not. Don't just nibble and, and taste here. Just jump in. Just, just jump in and, and, and let God show himself to you. And in your mind, either prove or disprove that, that he is who he says he is. And I think if you jump in with that view and you get a full picture of who he is, I know that, that God, God will show you who he is. So I challenge you to do that in, in a good way. And then as believers, the, the, the challenge was um, maybe, maybe as a believer you have accepted Jesus as far as salvation, but you just really not all in. You just really haven't just kind of really surrendered everything. There are areas that you're holding on to, and there, there are places that if you agree with it, you want to go along with it, and if you don't think it's quite right, you don't go along with it, or maybe this is uncomfortable, so I don't want to have a part of that. So there may be areas in your life where you're kind of holding back from God, and, and really you're not, just, you're not just saying, hey, I'm surrendering it all to you and challenge you to think about things like that. And then this past week, hopefully, You've been looking for things, and you've been thinking of ways that God is good to you. Look around at, at all the things that God provides for us and in all the ways that God deals with us. Uh, you know, some people say, if God is so good, why is there so much evil? And I, I like to turn that around and say, if we're so evil, why is, why is God so good to us? I mean, think about how he could be, right? So uh, look for ways that God is good to you. Re be reminded of how God is good to you. So this week, we're talking about God being good, uh, but we're going to be looking at it through the lens of what it means to be forgiven, or God's goodness that he provides to us through forgiveness. <clears throat> now, you don't have to raise your hand. Oh, yeah, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever been guilty? <laughs> how many of you have ever felt guilty? How many of you have ever had someone else try to make you feel guilty about something that, oh God, your hands went up before I even finished. Yeah, somebody tried to lay the guilt trip on you, make you feel guilty about something that you really knew that you weren't responsible for, you didn't do, but yet you, you kind of still had these feelings as if you actually had done something wrong because they tried to make you feel that way. Uh, guilt is a, is a powerful kind of a thing. And so I want us to look at that in light of what it means to be forgiven and talk about guilt. So what is guilt? Here, here's a definition. You know, I like to give definitions, like I say, to kind of clarify and get us on the right, on the same page. Guilt basically means this. It's the fact or state of committing an offense, right? I mean, it's pretty simple and straightforward, right? It's the fact or state of committing a, an offense. If you do something and, um, you know... Right or wrong, I mean, you know, we think of, of being guilty as always being doing something wrong. But, you know, there's plenty of country songs that kind of talk about if loving you is, you know, then I'm guilty and that kind of thing. Didn't Alabama have a song, something with guilty in it? I don't know. Y'all know, might know all that better than I do, right? But the idea of guilty means it's the factor state of, of, of committing an, an offense. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something wrong. I mean, I can be guilty of doing something that's good, meaning that I'm responsible for that. Yes, I did that. But we often think about that as far as in the negative sense of doing something something wrong. So the act the, or fact or state of committing an offense. But here's what I want you to think about. Guilt is not the same uh, as the feeling of guilt. Now, kind of hold on to that, roll that around in your brain for just a minute. Guilt is not the same as the feeling of guilt. And here's how I know that. I can do something that I know I'm guilty of doing and that fact or that act of whatever it is that I've done can pass. It can be 
days, weeks, years, but I can still have a feeling of guilt about that, although I'm not doing it anymore, right? So the act of actually being guilty is not the same. They're not exactly the same as the feeling of guilt. They can be different. So we can have feelings of guilt. In fact, as I mentioned, some people may try to put the guilt trip on you and make you feel guilty about something you know you haven't done. Sometimes we can have a feeling of guilt when, when there is no true guilt on our part, when, when we're not actually the ones responsible for doing anything. So being actually guilty and having a feeling of guilt, of guilt, they're not necessarily always connected. They're not necessarily always the same. Does that make sense? So, and I think it's important to distinguish between that because um, we, a lot of times, as humans, I think, can allow guilt to basically control us. There are things that, that either we have done and we have that feeling of guilt, but it's been, again, days, weeks, months, years have passed since that offense, but yet we're still holding on to the feelings of that guiltiness of whatever has happened. It can, it can control us in a way that it affects the way we behave, it affects the way we interact with others, it affects the way we think. It affects the things that we want to do or involved in. And, and we can just, we can beat ourselves up over that. We can keep replaying that, that, that movie in our, in our minds of what we did and how it was wrong. And we can, we can live with that guilt. It's just an ongoing, for some of us, it may be a weekly, monthly, it may be a daily, an hourly thing to where you just replay those tapes of, something that had happened, and you just won't let it go. You just have this overwhelming sense of guilt that you live with. And that, that can be, it can be paralyzing to us. So what I want you to think about is this. What if I told you that no one has to live with guilt? What if I told you, I would even go as far as to say, is that God doesn't want us to live with guilt. I would, in fact, go even farther and say that God says to us that he doesn't want us to live with guilt. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. That's in the New Testament. If you have your, a Bible, we encourage you to bring them with you. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I'm going to read these, and then we're going to continue some conversation about what this means. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. It says... Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now that is a, uh, Hebrews is a really good, it's all good, but I really like a lot of the stuff in Hebrews. It's so it's so clear, it's so concise, it, it, when there's a lot of things that just when you read some of the things in Hebrews, it's like, okay, that just pretty much says it the way it is. It doesn't need uh, to be wondering what's going on. But just in case you're not familiar with this passage or you, 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 some of those things in the beginning, this is talking about 
about Jesus. And that we have the confidence and the idea of being before God and entering, uh, entering before God and the idea of his curtain uh, very quickly. You know, in Old Testament, they had priests who would go into the temple and they would offer sacrifices for the sins of people. And there was this curtain that separated the, the regular part of the temple from the holy of holies, which is kind of where God was, where God resided. And so the priest would go into the temple and enter into the holy of holies where nobody else was allowed to go. The curtain separated. Only the priests could go. And they would go, and if you had sinned, you would bring appropriate sacrifice. And they would go in and they would offer this sacrifice for you to say that your sins were taken care of for, for them. Then later as you sinned, when you come back to the temple again next year or whenever it was, then you brought some more sacrifices, and, and it was kind of a repetitive thing. So that's kind of the concept, but what he's talking about here is, is that Jesus took that over. It's a new and living way. It opened the curtain, it says, through, through the curtain, through his flesh. Jesus' body basically became uh, that, 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 that curtain that was torn down. The Bible says when he was crucified that the curtain in the temple was torn or rent from the top to the bottom. That symbolic thing of actually happening, but a, a symbolic thing of saying, hey, uh, there's no need for a separation between us and God now. You don't need a human being to intercede for you with God. Jesus took that place. He, he removed that curtain. You don't need somebody on your behalf to go and offer sacrifices for you in the human body. Jesus did that for all of us now. So there's no need for that. He was the perfect sacrifice of God so that through him our sins can be forgiven. So it's just, that's just so clear as he's explaining that. And because of that, then he goes on to tell us the things that he wants us to know. So, so here, here is a port, an important uh, point if you're looking at, at this and understanding what this means. The first one that I just read, I don't, I don't remember if I said this or not, but with those scriptures, the idea that God doesn't want us to live with guilt. You know, jot that down, put that in your brain. Just hold on to that. God doesn't want us to live with guilt. As we read those scriptures, that, that we see that. And then the second thing would be this. We've been cleansed of an evil conscience, or some translations say a guilty conscience. That's in Hebrews 10, 22. Go back and, and look at that. We'll have that on the screen for you. And it says, we have been cleansed of an evil conscience. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Saying this idea that Jesus has done what the scripture say, says that he has done. That he has gone in, he has made that sacrifice for our sins. He has cleansed us. Not only of our sin, but it says of an evil conscience. Which to me says not only of the guilt of the act of doing things. But Jesus has taken over in such a way that he doesn't want us to live with that guilt. Because he has forgiven us of that. He has taken care of that. Now I don't know, you might be saying this, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought God gave the Holy Spirit to people to make us feel guilty when we do wrong. Doesn't the Bible say that the Holy Spirit uh, resides in those who believe in Him and, and He's the one who convicts us of wrongdoing? That is true. But the purpose is to not make us feel guilty. The Holy Spirit doesn't, job isn't to make us feel guilty about what we do. God's purpose is not to make us feel guilty about what we do. We are guilty when we do things against God it's not a matter of feeling we're guilty when we do things against God the Holy Spirit's role in our life is to bring that sin to light and to convict us in such a way not just so that we'll feel guilty God wants us to be convicted so that we will turn to him 
to rid ourselves of whatever that is that's a part of our lives. If you're, if you're not a believer, that initial, I'm giving my life to you, I'm not trusting you as my Savior, to rid myself of thinking that I can do things on my own, that I can be good enough to save myself, I'm turning to you. When you have that time in your life, as a, if you're not a believer and you have that point in your life to where it's almost like I described it uh, to people many years ago when I felt like God was speaking to me. It was almost like I was in this closet and it was dark and all of a sudden somebody just reached up and turned the light on. It was like, oh, this is what you mean. So we have that, that moment where we understand I've, I've sinned against God. I need to give my life to him. I need to repent of my sin and the salvation. That is, that is something that, that happens with us. And so the conviction comes in order to draw us to God as a believer. After that happens, you know, nobody's perfect. You're going to do things that are wrong. You're going to sin. We'll look at uh, some of that in just a moment. But the idea is that when that happens, God doesn't convict us so that we can live with guilt about us doing wrong. The conviction comes in our life or that feeling of guilt happens so that we can repent of that and turn to God and have our relationship restored in the way that it needs to be. So God's purpose is to not make us feel guilty. He doesn't want us to live with guilt, as we'll see in a little bit, because it hinders us in so many ways. So the, the Holy Spirit does have a job in our life, but it's not to make us feel guilty. It's to reveal that to us so that we can ask for forgiveness and move on, which is the main point of this, that you have been forgiven. Say that out loud. Say, I have been forgiven. Now, say it like you're not in some kind of monastery, uh, you know, with a drone. You know, we're not doing a responsive reading here if you've ever done any of those. I mean, have you been forgiven? Say, let me hear you tell it like your team won the ball game yesterday. <laughs> oh, that's different. Yeah, your little fist pump or something, you know, you would get all excited. You know, in this, golly, I'm guilty of it myself. In this, it's probably because of where we live and how we grew up, which there's so many blessings. But, you know, we're not only in the Bible Belt, we're the, we're the buckle of the belt and we hear all that talk so much and we've experienced that we're able to come to church and we talk about Jesus talk about sin being forgiven and Jesus dying on the cross we talk about it like it's just we're just a walk in the park we get so comfortable with that to realize you've been forgiven man that's powerful that's powerful if you've ever experienced that from a human perspective of knowing that you, there was some kind of offense between you and somebody else and you've gone to them or they've come to you and you've worked it out and they've asked you to forgive them and you know when they said, I forgive you, you felt the power of the release of that, of knowing that I am not bound to that anymore. I'm, I've been freed up of that feeling of guilt. I don't have to live with that anymore. Imagine, that, that's how we feel when we do it amongst humans imagine this idea of knowing that the god the creator of the universe has said to us you have been forgiven all of your offenses against me i've taken care of it you've been forgiven so this is what i want you to think about uh here, here's a couple of scriptures uh, you may jot them down i'm going to kind of move through through them uh kind of fast i'm just going to say them and, and read them, but just this idea of you've been forgiven. Psalm 32, 1 through 5, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you ever felt that burden that he's talking about? Have you ever felt that? Just if you're holding on to guilt, you're holding on to things, and it's just this weight, and you feel drained, and you're powerless. That's what he's talking about. And my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then it says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, next word, say it out loud, forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's powerful stuff. Uh, if you are not a believer, these next couple of verses, that one and these next couple ones, I want you to hear these. Even, I don't care if you've been to church a thousand times and you've heard them or somebody's told them to you. Listen to them with new ears if you're not yet a believer to understand the power of being forgiven of your wrongdoing against God, that there's a separation between you and God, there's nothing on this earth that can fix it. You can't be good enough, can't come to church enough, can't say enough prayers, can't, you know, uh, do enough rosary beads, you can't go to Mass, you can't, can't do enough of any of that stuff, although all of that can have its place. But to know that the only way for the relationship to be restored is to realize and accept the forgiveness that God has offered you through Jesus Christ. That is a powerful thing, and it will free you up to quit trying to do things on your own or think that you're going to be perfect or wait until you get it all together or just listen to these next uh, scriptures where it talks about us and how God has forgiven us. In Romans 3.23, a very uh, basic scripture, and it says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. How many is all? You know? Yeah. You know Greek, right? The Greek word for all means all. It's all. It's not some, a few, just those back then or somebody. It's everybody. You're included in all, all right? So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us the penalty for, for having that sin in our life. It says, for the wages of sin is death. You go to work, you work a certain number of hours, whether you get paid salary or whether you get paid by the hour, you receive wages based on the stuff that you have done, Right? whatever job you work on. Some of you receive more wages than others, right? But in sin, it says the wages, the penalty, the payment for, for what we have done, if we're going to cash in, if we're having it directly deposited into our account, our account shows up and it says death. The payment for sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Those are powerful, real scriptures to say. If, if you have not believed in him. Again, You maybe, like I said last week especially, maybe you're in that. I don't even really know if all this is true. Listen, I want you to know, this is the way that you invite God to be a part of your life and accept what he has done for you because you can't do it. You have to accept what he has done. You're not perfect enough. Jesus was. You're not sinless. Jesus was. That was the perfect sacrifice that had to be offered to cover sin from, from, from then 
on forever till eternity for all people. So to be able to know that that's what it means for you to confess that with your mouth. Confess means to agree, right? If I, if I confess to something, then I'm saying, yes, I agree with that. So you agree. You agree that Jesus is Lord. You believe that in your heart. You confess that with your mouth. It says you'll be saved, that you accept that free gift that God has given us. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. We talk about inviting Jesus into your heart or letting God come into your life. Now, 1 John 1, 9 is another scripture, but it's a little different, and this is talking to believers, all right? So listen to this one. This is 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, wait a minute. What if you just said, wait a minute, you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you're saved. That's right. This one's talking about people who are believers. There are times when we still disobey God and do things wrong. And the Bible says that we need to confess that sin as well. Not so that we can be saved again, but so that the relationship can be restored. Because God doesn't deal with, he's dealt with sin, but he, he doesn't allow it. it. It just interferes between us and him, so it has to be taken care of. So there's no interference in the relationship. And the best way that I've ever tried to think about it or explain it as from human terms, again, that's all when we have human stuff, it's not perfect, but this is the way I look at it. If you're married... Right? You're married. You had a legal service. You went down to the courthouse or you got married in the church or somewhere and preacher or just peace or whoever said all these things and you said what you said and you signed these papers and you're married, right? Now, anybody, how many of you in here are married, have been married for longer than three days? Right. Okay. So, you've had an argument with your spouse. <laughs> Listen, when you're married and you disagree with your spouse, maybe, you know, you have disagreement, you have an argument, things are not right, you kind of get on each other's nerves, all right? That causes a rift in your relationship, right? It doesn't have to be one that is the end of the world, but your relationship is just not exactly the way that it needs to be. So when you have an argument with your spouse, and then what happens is you get to the point where you say, you know, I'm sorry, or you work things out, you talk about things, and, and at, at that point, you begin to get that relationship back the way that it needs to be. You don't have to go back down to the courthouse again and re-sign the papers and re-up on the marriage license. You're still married. You didn't get unmarried because there was a rift in your relationship, right? That's similar to the way I view this scripture with us and God, that we're already His. That's not, that's not for, for grabs. We're His. But when we disobey Him, it causes a rift in our relationship. So we don't have to go back and get saved again. It's just a matter of saying, I'm sorry, God, or I agree with you that I've done wrong, or I'm confessing that sin to you, and that begins to restore our relationship back with God the way that it needs to be. Does that make sense? So that's kind of the scriptures that we're looking at when understanding that we have been forgiven. And to understand when it comes to guilt that we don't have to live with that guilt. Now listen, I, this is, we're stubborn. I mean, you're stubborn, <laughs> right? We're stubborn. And I would say chances are great that there's at least one person in this size of an audience and you're struggling with something that either you have done or something that has happened to you or something that has been an offense that, that you've committed or maybe it's just something like we said earlier. Somebody's just trying to make you feel guilty about it and, and you know you haven't done it but you're just feeling guilty all the time and you're struggling with that. 
and you're living with this guilt on a daily basis. It, it just crosses your mind. And sometimes it feels like that you're paralyzed by it. I want you to know, listen, as far as it depends between you and God, that God has forgiven you. And if you have confessed that sin, he has forgiven you. Now, if you're holding on to it, like the psalmist was talking about, and you're holding on to it, and you're not saying anything, and you're not asking God to forgive you, well, then, as a believer, you haven't confessed that yet, so he hasn't, he hasn't re- begun to restore that relationship. So maybe there are things that you're holding on to, and you know they're wrong, you know they're against God, and you're just in your mind thinking one of these days it's going to get better, but you have never actually just prayed and said, God, I confess this sin to you. I realize that it's wrong. Would you forgive me? Maybe you've never gotten to that point. And I hope that you will based on what we've seen and understand that he, he does forgive you. He does want you to move on with it. So here's the other point. I'll kind of close, uh, hopefully kind of wrap things up. Living with guilt, it hinders our relationship with God. If you live with guilt, it hinders your relationship with God. How, what do you mean? How does, that, how does it hinder my relationship? Look at this scripture again in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. And it says this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. The hope who is in Jesus that we have through salvation and abundant life. That's, that's the whole concept. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. That means that we're, we're sure we're not doubting. We're not wishy-washy. We're not being, James talks about being blown here and there. We're not, we're not moving around. We're solid. We're sure. We're, we're holding to the confession of our hope without wavering. And he, this is so important here. For he who promised is faithful. You're not holding on to it because of how strong you are. You're not confident in how good you can be. You're not confident in that. I got this thing together. Look how spiritual I am. I come to church every time the doors are open. I'm on this committee and I'm serving here and I'm volunteering in the community. I've got all my my hope and all that. I'm I'm holding unwavering because of who I am. That's not it because you ain't all that, right? It says hold on to that without wavering because or for he who promised is faithful. That's our, that's our hope. That's how, we, that's how we hold on to that. And then verse 24, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, some, uh, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the, the days draw near, or the day drawing near. So here's what I think about. If we are living with guilt, if we are living with unconfessed sin and we're holding on to that and we're living with that, it hinders our relationship with God. talks about drawing near to God. If you're living with that, you're going to have a problem drawing near to God. If you're living with guilt, you're going to sit down to read and in your mind you're going to try to read the Bible and the devil and whoever else is going to be all in your brain and they're going to be saying, what do you need to be reading for? Look at how you live. You're going to want to pray, and you're going to try to start to pray, and, and, and you're going to hear this, well, there's, you, don't, you don't need to be praying. Look at how you act. Look at what you're doing. Look at the way that you live. It's going to hinder you. It's going to keep you from drawing near to God. And especially if the sin or whatever it is you have in your life is unconfessed, 
it's, it's, it's not going to be possible for you to draw closer to God. You're, there's going to be a rift in your relationship. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, there's just this big chasm that can't be fixed without believing in Jesus to begin with. So it's going to hinder your relationship with God by drawing near. It's going to talk about, as I mentioned, holding unswervingly to the hope or not wavering from your hope. If, if you have all these doubts in your mind, if you're walking around and you feel guilty about who you are, if you feel guilty, you're living with this guilt about what you do and you're always talking this negative self-talk about what you're not and what you can't do and God surely can't love me because look at how I'm living. If you're holding on to that, you're not going to be very sure in your faith. You're not going to stand strong and unwavering. You're going to be blown around by whoever says something to you and whatever somebody has an opinion about who you are or what you do is either going to confirm what you're already saying about yourself and it's going to be hard for you to have that solid foundation of saying, hey, this is who God says I am. So it's going to hinder you in your relationship. It talks about uh, coming to church, basically, or gathering. It says don't, don't uh, forsake the assembling of yourself together. You've probably been there. You may be there now. If you live with guilt, it's probably hard for you to come to church amongst other believers at times because you feel guilty and you think everybody knows and everybody can see what you're doing. Everybody knows things and so I'll just stay home or I'm not going to sit in another service because every time I go, I'm living with this guilt and the preacher just always just steps all over my toes. I think I'll just stay home and watch somebody nicer on TV, right? <laughs> living with guilt hinders that relationship of all those things that were mentioned there in Hebrews uh, 10, 23 through 25. So, so here, is, here is the challenge, or here's what I want you to think about. God does not want you to live with guilt. That's not my opinion. That's what he says in his, in his words that we just read. God doesn't want you to live with guilt. I'm not talking about do whatever you want to if it feels good. God, God, no big deal. We can just, you know, life is wonderful, la, la, la. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying that, yeah, we mess up. And, yeah, there are things that go wrong. God doesn't want you to live with that. He wants you to accept his forgiveness. And he wants to, you to move on. He didn't want you to hang on to it. Because he's not. He's not hanging on to it. He's not reminding you. He's not keeping a checklist the first time that you mess up. And he's going to remind you of all the things that, that you've done wrong. One scripture tells us that our sin, God, God doesn't remember that. And it's as far as the east is from the west that he's not holding on to those things. When we confess our sin and he forgives us of that, he's not keeping that on the side over here in case you do something wrong again. He's going to bring up, oh, yeah, well, look, this is, this is what I knew. I knew you would do this. God's not doing that. We do that as humans sometimes. But he's not holding on to that. You know, it reminds me of the joke I heard about the two people going for marriage counseling and the, and the man said to the counselor, I just, can't, I just can't deal with her. He said, every time we have an argument or whatever, and he said, she just gets historical. And, he, and the counselor said, you mean she gets hysterical? He said, no, she gets historical. She starts bringing up everything from the past every time we have an argument, right? God's not like that. He's not keeping this record of wrongs. Corinthians uh, 13 tells us that love doesn't do that, doesn't keep a record of wrong. God's not holding it against you. And so listen, and this might be hard to swallow. 
If you have asked God to forgive you, He has forgiven you according to what His Word says and because of who He is and His goodness to us by offering us forgiveness. If you have done that, God has forgiven you. Who do you think you are by continuing to hold on to it? Are you more powerful than God? What does it benefit you to hang on to it and continue to be the martyr and continue to let that be the thing that hinders you? And maybe you're even using it as an excuse because you can easily bring it back up. If God has chosen to forgive us, who do we think we are to continue to try and hang on to it? That's pride. In a weird sense of the way. of the way, It's pride. If God has forgiven us, we shouldn't hang on to it. He doesn't want that. So if, if you're not a believer, here's what I would say to you. Would you be willing to say, right here, right now. All right. I've never really just said, God, I'm done. I can't do it on my own. This day, right now. I just want to trust my life to you. I may not understand it all, but I just want to confess that I have sinned against you and I want to believe in Jesus and trust my life to him that what he has done is enough to take care of my sin and I want to live free of the guilt that I walk around with every day of knowing that I really don't have that relationship with you. Would you be willing to do that right here, right now? I'm going to give you a chance to pray in just a minute. What about as a believer? Would you be willing to... To say, all right, you know what? There are some things I'm holding on to. I've asked God to pray. I've asked God to forgive me. I still think about it every day. I've asked God to forgive me. I still beat myself up over it. I've asked God to forgive me, and you can keep filling in the blank of how this still haunts you and how this is still a part of your life. And I would say to you, why are you holding on to that? What do you, what more permission do you need? than from the creator of the universe to tell you in his word that he has cleansed you of a guilty conscience. The guilt that you live with, if you have confessed that sin to God, he's forgiven you. The guilt that you live with is not from him. It's not his way of keeping you under his thumb and keeping you under control. He has no interest in you living with a guilty conscience or else he wasted his time by sending his only son to die and pay that penalty for our sin. That's not from God. So are you willing to say today and, and pray to him and name it to him that this day you're willing to recognize that he has cleansed you not only of the sin itself, but of the evil conscience that comes along with it or the guilty conscience that comes along with it. Are you willing today to say, I give this to you completely. I'm letting go of it. I'm not thinking about it. I am just going to accept that you have forgiven me just like you said, and I'm going to move on with it. I want to give you an opportunity today to do that. So here's what I like to do. If you would just pray with me. I'm not going to make you uncomfortable, I promise. I'm not going to do anything weird. But I do want you to close your eyes just for no other reason than just kind of tune out any distractions and just between you and God. First of all, if you're, if, if you're not a believer and you would say, you know what, I know, I know I'm just not. 
I'm not asking you how many times you come to church or how religious you've been or what other people think about you or who in your family is a believer or if you have relatives that are preachers. I'm not, I'm not asking any of that. I'm asking you. You answer the question right now. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? The answer is yes or no. And if the answer is no, here's what I challenge you to do right here, right now. I'm going to kind of give you something that you can repeat. There's nothing magic about the words, but it's just consistent with what the Scripture says that we need to do about what we read in Romans about confessing with our uh, mouth and believing in our hearts. So would you pray this if you're not a believer? Would you say, God, today I recognize that I have sinned against you. I want to let go of anything that I'm trying to do on my own. And trust in what Jesus has done for me. I accept his free gift of forgiveness today. God, I want you to change my life. To give me the strength to live for you. And to hold unswervingly to the faith that comes through you. Thank you for hearing me today. Thank you for changing my life. Now just keep your heads bowed. Keep your eyes closed. I, if you prayed that prayer or you said something similar, you mean that in your heart and you're asking God, I want you to know you can mark this as a day to where you've done what the Scripture says of confessing your sin. And the Bible says that when you believe in Him and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you will be saved. That has happened for you today. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder, was it official? If you meant that in your heart, God hears you. You have received that forgiveness that he offers. And if you did that, I want to know about it. Find me today. Let me know. Now, for those of us and who are believers, here's what I would challenge you to do. Again, it's not a matter of salvation. But maybe you would say, you know what? You're speaking, you're speaking directly to me. I'm uncomfortable. I've been squirming the whole time. You've been reading my mail. You know what's on my heart. You know what's going on. I don't know any of that, but God does. And so I would challenge you in this way. Would you be willing to pray this? If you're holding on to this guilt and you're living with it, would you pray this? Uh, God, today I confess. You fill in the blank of whatever it is that you're holding on and living with guilt about. What is it? What is it sin in your life? Is it things that you know God's, you've already asked forgiveness, but you're still holding on? You fill in the blank. God, today I confess. I accept your forgiveness and turn to you. Restore my relationship with you and give me the freedom to live guilt free. Not because I think I should be able to live guilt free, but because you say I am forgiven and I have been cleansed of an evil and a guilty conscience. It's yours today, Lord. I don't want it back. I don't want to pick it up again. I want to let it go. I'm ready to move on. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for hearing me today. Amen. All right, look look this way, and I'm just going to ask our band if they would go ahead and come on up, and we're going to have a time. Uh, there's nothing magical about making some kind of public response, but sometimes when we have a time of what we call an invitation or whatever, 
uh, the, the, the physical act of you saying, you know what, this whole time God's been speaking to me. You're squirming. You feel like God's dealing with you. And, and there's a decision that, you know, you prayed one of those prayers or you identify with what's being said. And you say, you know, just as an act of, of even making it more solidified of saying, all right, I'm going to get up from where I am and I'm going to move. And I'm going to come and, again, just pray and thank God for hearing me. Maybe you can do it right where you are. But this is the time of the invitation. Maybe as I was praying that, some of you were thinking, you know, I need to pray that. But you didn't. This is the time as the music plays for you just to contemplate that and let God continue to speak to you. If you prayed either one of those prayers or you have, are dealing with either one of those things, I'd love to know about that. Find me and let me know what's going on. We'd be excited to be able to uh, hear how God's dealing with you. So the band's going to play. I'm going to ask if you would stand. You respond just however you think that God wants you to as you've maybe already prayed or just thinking about what's going on today. God, we love you. We thank you for your forgiveness. It's, uh, we just say it so nonchalantly, but to understand the power behind the freedom of not having guilt in our lives because you've provided forgiveness. So just let us think about that this week. How might, how might it change the way we act? How might it change the conversation that we have? How might it change the way we look at our own lives? And we know that you want us to draw close to you and you want us to continue to understand this loving relationship that you have with us. God, you are good to us. We thank you for that forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen.